even if you're not happy, it's always good to say these things. Well, it's good to be back. Um, I had a very nice holiday, um, and I was, I enjoyed myself doing little, and, um, but I'm glad to be back. It can get very boring, <laughs> but uh, I needed a break. Um, you can start counting me down soon. I just want to um, just say a few things. So, yes, thank you. Um, the last four weeks were very, very useful in that it gave me the opportunity to look at things, analyze things, and also was able to visit some of the other churches and do some ministry and uh, just strengthen and encourage them. And I watched a lot of Netflix videos, which was also very inspiring. And after a while, it kind of became a bit boring. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure whether I'll be doing it like that for a while. Anyway, let's look at the word. I want to share something that I've already began to touch on um, for, the, um, for Refresh. And so I'm a little bit hesitant in terms of what I'm about to share today because a lot of it or some of it will be repetitious concerning what we've already shared about the Holy Spirit. But as I've been praying, I feel for the next few months, because of how we've been praying as a church, to focus on the Holy Spirit and his gifts specifically. But I want to lay some foundations to help us. And I believe that as we go through this teaching in the next few months as a church, I think we'll be really blessed because the area that I want to focus on will be hearing God and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. But I want to lay some foundation for us so that we can move um, according to the knowledge of God's Word concerning the Holy Spirit. If some of this is repetitious, please forgive me. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to us. I ask that you will speak to us by revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first um, teaching I'm going to entitle us, Who is the Holy Spirit? It's similar to what I did at Refresh. 1 John chapter, one, chapter 5 verse 7 says this, For there are three who bear witness, that bear witness in heaven. The Father the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. By the way, I've been giving out the notes because I was quite unsure as to what I should actually share. So um, I'll give you the notes afterwards. We'll, we'll figure it out afterwards, all right? Now, he says, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, if somebody was to come to you as a child of God and ask you the question to tell them about the Holy Spirit, I wonder what answers you will give. I wonder what you will say to them. For the Jehovah's Witnesses, they refer to him as God's active force because of the way he operates, because of the fact that he is like the one who executes the will of God um, and he is the power that is manifested to reveal God's hand. So often he's referred to by them and others as God's active force. And then there are those who refer to him as a 
manifestation of God. A manifestation of God. And by that, what they mean is, is that the Holy Spirit is really God the Father expressing himself as a spirit who is holy. But when you look at the Bible and you look at how the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit, it becomes very clear that there is a distinction between God the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit. Like we've already said, read, he says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Now the Word, by the way, refers to Jesus. He is the Logos of God. In John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he goes on and on and on. And verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is in reference to Jesus. So when he says that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, is referring to God the Father, the Son of God our Lord Jesus, and the person of the Holy Spirit. It says these three are one. So he is a member of the Godhead. In other words, he is part of the one true God. Part is a wrong word to use. He is a revelation, I should say, of the one true God. Now, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, as revealed in the Old and the New Testament, is a triune being. There's a lot of theological debates about this. There's a lot of different schools of thought. I don't really want to go into it today. But I want to give you this backdrop as we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. The God of the Bible in the Old and the New Testament is a triune God. He's a triune being of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct divine persons who coexist throughout eternity. And even though they are clearly distinguishable, in other words, you can tell this is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are indivisible. In other words, you cannot have one without the other. Now, some people will say, well, that doesn't really make sense. It may not make sense per se, but this is the biblical revelation of God, the, the, the one true God. A good way of trying to appreciate this reality is to look at man. Now, God is an infinite being, but man is a limited being. A man is spirit, soul, and body. You are spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body. The spirit part of you is the part that relates to the supernatural, is the part that relates to God and the supernatural. Is the intuitive part of you. Is the part that gives you conscience. Is the part that gives you self-awareness. The soul part of you is your personality. It's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions. It's your personality. And then the body, of course, is the physical part. Now, your spirit and your soul are distinguishable and they are divisible. But you can't literally, they can be divided, but you can't separate them in the sense of if you separate the spirit and the soul, you don't have a person. So, but the word of God tells us that it is quick and powerful and it is the one that deserves between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. So God's word can divide between your spirit and soul. Now the point I'm making is this. You as a human being, you are a limited human being. You are spirit, soul, and body. The spirit part of you is the God conscious part of you, is the 
part of you is conscience. The soul part of you is your personality and your body. Now, as you are, I can prove to you that you at times display three different wills. I'll prove it to you. When, for instance, you are tempted, your spirit knows what is right. Your soul decides which one to do. And your body has no, its own opinion. Does that agree with you? Now, you as a finite being, as a limited being, can display three wills. Now, it's not three yous. It's one you. But you as a finite being can display three wills. How much more God who is an infinite being? So the point I'm trying to make is, is that the biblical revelation of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct divine beings, not making three gods, but one God. This is the revelation that God has chosen to reveal to us through his word. And the Holy Spirit is the one that executes the will of the Godhead. Is the one that executes the will of God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one that mediates the will of the Godhead. He's the one that brings to bear what God the Father or what the Godhead want to happen. He reveals the will of God. He is the will of God. But it is the Holy Spirit that executes or brings to pass what God wants to do. And he is first introduced in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Or the, word, the earth was shapeless or had no purpose. And it was empty. And it says, And darkness was on the face of the deep. And then it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God speaks, let there be light. Literally in the Hebrew, light be. And there was light. Now, how was there light? Psalm 104 verse 30 shows us how God does it. He says, you send forth your spirit and they are created. You renew the face of the earth. In other words, it's talking about creation before. In other words, when God creates, the spirit of God first hovers. He speaks a word and the spirit of God brings it to pass. So he is the one who executes God's will, the divine will, and causes the will of God to come to pass through the agency of his word. That's how he operates. So he uses the word of God to bring about the purposes of God. This is a very important point as we begin to learn about him. He always uses the word of God. He always takes the word of God and makes the word of God become a reality. So the Holy Spirit will never, never do anything outside the parameters of the word of God. He will never execute anything that is contrary to the word and the will and the purposes of God. So Whatever supernatural manifestation you may see, whatever work you may see, whatever sign, whatever wonder, if it contradicts the word of God, understand that the spirit of God is not behind it. Can you say amen? He, the Holy Spirit, 
is involved and was involved and continues to be involved in the redemptive work of God in humanity. In other words, God's heart to rescue human beings and bring them to himself, he was and is and continues to be involved. Isaiah 48, verse 16, again, it's a narrative about different things that God was doing, and then he says this, Come near to me, hear this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now, that Jesus is speaking here, it's a messianic prophecy or declaration. He says, from the time, from the, the time that it was, I was there. That's from the beginning, Jesus is talking. He says, and now, the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. So, God the Father and the Holy Spirit are the ones who sent Jesus to come to this earth to bring about redemption for mankind. Now, when our Lord was on the earth and as he was coming to bring his ministry to completion, he began to speak very explicitly about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was to come in the place of Jesus. He was and does come in place of Jesus. And in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus is speaking, our Lord is speaking, and he says this, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So our Lord Jesus says, when he goes back to heaven, or maybe even before, he says he will pray. In fact, it's when he went back to heaven he did this. He says, I will pray or ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper, somebody who will come in place of me. Now, I touched on this at um, Refresh, but I want to repeat it because it's very, very important we understand who we're dealing with. The Holy Spirit comes in place of Jesus. He comes so that Jesus doesn't have to be here physically. In verse 26 of John 14, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I want you to notice a few things. He is referred to as the Helper or another Helper. Another Helper. Now let's pause a minute. Another Helper means before Jesus was their Helper. He was helping them all, in all kinds of ways. And you, could, you can look at the Gospels and see how Jesus helped his disciples and helped humanity. But now the Holy Spirit is referred to as another helper. And he's supposed to come and abide or make his home with you forever. Now, how does he do that? He comes and makes his home in your spirit in your spirit, not in a church building, in your spirit, not in instruments, in your spirit, not in a box, in your spirit. Under the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the only place that he resided was in a place called the Ark of the Covenant. Even on human beings, he will come for a season and then leave. It was in that small box that he, he, he limited himself to. And that was there until Jesus came, died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, you notice that the veil that separated the, um, the presence of God from mankind was torn in two. 
And that meant now that the Holy Spirit, who was limited in the box, was no longer limited to a box. He could live in any human being that qualifies for his presence to live in them. And that happens when we get born again. That's how we qualify. When we get born again, he comes and lives in our spirit. But he comes and lives in us forever. This is the point I want you to see. He doesn't come temporarily. So any man, any woman that is born again will have the Holy Spirit coming to live in them. God comes and lives in them through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then 26 that I've already read, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Two things I want you to notice. First of all, he will teach you all things, not just religious things, not just things related to religion or morality, as important as that is, but he teaches you everything. Any area that requires knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, the Holy Spirit has the superior knowledge in that area. Any area. Whether it's finance, whether it's music, whether it's business, whether it's parenting, whatever the area, the Holy Spirit has the superior knowledge. But then he also says, not only does he teach you all things, he also brings to your remembrance what? I have said to you, Jesus has said to you. Now, it is not talking about you having some private conversation with Jesus per se, and then he tells you something that is outside of biblical revelation. No, it's talking about what has already been recorded in the word. The words of Jesus in the Bible, in the Gospels particularly, is what the Holy Spirit brings back to our memory. Therefore, it is important that we are very familiar with the word of God and the words of Christ. The scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and admonition. We, if we want to be able to hear the Holy Spirit accurately and clearly, he brings to our memory, our remembrance, the words of Jesus. And then he also reveals to us all things. Now, another point I want to say is this. What he reveals to us concerning anything else will never contradict what Jesus has already taught. Will never contradict that. So, look at John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. This is our Lord talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Say all truth. He will guide you into all truth. All truth, again, is not simply knowledge, information. It is revelation that changes you, that transforms you. It is knowledge that will cause transformation. Truth is reality. Truth at its most basic definition is reality. And the Holy Spirit, he is called a spirit of truth. He is a spirit of truth. He is a spirit of So why is there so much lying sometimes? <laughs> you know, sometimes the people who talk in tongues a lot, 
can also be very good liars. Very good liars. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, let's move on. It's nice to be back. He will guide you into all truth. So, you know, truth is not relative. It's objective. There isn't your truth and my truth. It's now a very popular saying amongst celebrities. You should know your truth. And then I have my truth and your truth. As if your truth will be different from my truth. That's not, truth is truth. Unless you're colorblind, black actually is black. Okay, I know the scientists are going to have me here, the spectrums and all that. I'm not a physicist, so you know, I'm just simple. Black is black, white is white. So there's no, and you know, let's just stay on track. Let's stay in the Holy Spirit. Truth is truth. And it leads you into all truth. Now, the point I want to make about truth is this. As you get to know the Holy Spirit, you become increasingly aware of what things are really like in the sight of God. That's what truth is. You become increasingly aware of where you really stand before God, within his grace and outside of his grace. You become increasingly aware of where people are at. You become increasingly aware of your own motives, your own foibles, your own strengths and weaknesses. You will not speak over yourself things that are contrary to the word of God. But at the same time, you will not lie to yourself. You will learn to speak the truth to yourself, first of all, and then you speak the truth in love to others. Say to your neighbor, always tell the truth. He guides you into all truth. Look at the next sentence. For he will not speak on his own authority. Now it's interesting. When our Lord Jesus came on the earth, he did not do anything outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, it was as he was guided by the Holy Spirit. After he was anointed of the Spirit of God, um, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. And then he came back in the power of the Spirit. He did everything under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He said, I can do nothing except what I see my father do. And how did he see his father do things? Through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, even he said this, I did not come in my own name. In other words, I'm not doing things under my own authority, but I'm doing it under the authority of the one who sent me. Now we know that the father sent him, but we also know that the spirit sent him as well. However, when the Holy Spirit was given now, Jesus says, he now, the Holy Spirit, does not speak under his own authority. Do you know whose authority he speaks under? Jesus. Because Jesus says he will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit in his name or in his authority. He says he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. 14, he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. This is why many times believers when they pray and they, they talk to Jesus and they get a response as if Jesus himself was talking. Because the spirit of God does not speak on his own authority. He only speaks what Jesus tells him to speak. He only reveals, so, so even though you are dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, you think you're dialoguing with Jesus. 
there are very few who actually will dialogue with a, a, a personification of Jesus like Ananias did. Because Jesus is now sat down on the right hand of God the Father. It is the Holy Spirit that we dialogue with. It's, he is the one that he's even referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. He is the one that we are now dealing with. So he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Say to your neighbor, he will tell you things to come. Now, as we continue in our teaching in the weeks to come, I'm going to get us to do exercises that will help us to be able to clearly recognize his voice. We'll do it in the Sunday service, so it'll, it'll, so it'll be great. Amen. Is that all right? Don't be scared. It'll be great, all right? We'll be, we'll be practicing. I, I sent out this um, uh, YouTube video of a guy who's doing this. He's really good. It's the best I've heard, so I'll try and get it out so that a lot of you can listen to it so that when I'm teaching it, you already have some idea of where we're going. But the point I'm making is, is this. The Holy Spirit will tell you things to come as well, if you let him. If you let him, he will let you know of things to come. Now, he's not a, a God who, is, uh, who, who gives us information to suit our flesh. That's not what it's about. God, am I going to pass the exams or not? God, am I going to get married uh, uh, to him or not? It's not, it's not uh, how do you put it? It's not a religious uh, fortune cookie. That's not, that's not what, it's, it's not like that. This is a real dynamic supernatural relationship with the Holy Spirit who is a divine being, who is God. So it's issues that will relate to his purposes, to the kingdom of God, to um, the heart of God concerning seeing souls saved and established in the kingdom of God. It's not about your own or my own pet preferences. It's not like that. He, he, he is not a sugar daddy. It's not like that. You can't blackmail the Holy Spirit to talk to you. It, it's not like that. If you want to walk supernaturally, have a relationship with him that is dynamic, that is real, then we have to be willing to just embrace reality from his perspective. Can you say amen? And this is one of the reasons why many people are unable to recognize his voice because they are not willing to surrender their heart to him to say whatever he wants to say. So, he will, take, he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit, anytime he communicates with us, anything that he does in our lives, it is to glorify Jesus. In other words, it is to make Jesus known. It is to reveal what Jesus is like. It is to bring attention to Jesus. It is to bring honor to Jesus. So when he talks to you about the future, it's because of Jesus. When he talks to you about the past, it's because of Jesus. When he talks to you about your life, it's because of Jesus. When he's revealing, um, when he's anointing you power and glory, whatever it is, it's because of who? Yeah. So when you, so some of these are the filters you can use to discern whether what you are seeing is him or not. Because there's a lot of rubbish that is, 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 is taught and demonstrated under the guise of the Holy Spirit. But it clearly is not glorifying Jesus. 
We have to be discerning people. We have to be discerning people. The good thing about the Holy Spirit and about God and about Lord Jesus is if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he promises to give you the Holy Spirit. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get a bad spirit. If you ask him to anoint you with the Holy Spirit, then trust him to give you the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is our Lord talking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So I'm kind of underscoring the point. Jesus had to go for the Holy Spirit to come. And by Jesus going, it was to the advantage of the church so that the Spirit of God can come and Jesus can be everywhere at once. Now, he helps us in specific ways. So the Holy Spirit, he comes into our lives to help us. But he helps us in specific ways. And like I've already kind of um, emphasized, he helps us in a way, please understand, that will cause Jesus to be glorified. So the Holy Spirit will not necessarily help you to beat somebody up. Yeah, you, see, you, you see, some of the, some of the prayers, you have to learn to be honest in your prayers. You know, sometimes we just have to say, God, I really want this thing, whether you want it or not. And I really don't want you to say no, because this is now my God. At least then you can know where you're at. You think, and then you know, even as it comes out, you say, and Lord, I repent. At least that would hopefully follow. But at times we deceive ourselves into believing that the Holy Spirit is going to help us in something that is wrong. Are you still here or have you gone home? So the word helper in the Greek is parakletos. And I'm not going to go into it because I've already taught on it and I encourage you to listen to what I've already taught. And from it we have several meanings. Comforter, counselor, advocate, strengthener, standby, as well as helper. These are all the ways in which he comes alongside. So he comes alongside us to help us in these various ways. And we're going to see how they are literally translated maybe later on today or next week. Now, that point I want to emphasize before I go further is he must be honored at all times. The Holy Spirit is to be honored at all times. What do I mean by that? You have to treat him with high respect, with great esteem. You have to regard him and his association in your life as a tremendous privilege. You cannot relate to him as if he's like your lackey or as if he's like uh, some, some, some person there. No, he is God. In fact, he has to be honored and his, honoring him is so important that our Lord Jesus gives a warning. In Matthew chapter 12, 31 and 32, and he says this. He says that every sin of blasphemy will be forgiven men, but 
the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, against the Spirit, will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. That's a very serious statement. So how you relate to him is very, very important. You relate to him with honor, with respect. You don't, you don't treat him as if he's your servant. You treat him as he is. He is Lord. And you see how he relates in the early church. You see in the first church, he would say something like this to Peter. Three men are downstairs looking, looking for you. Go to them. I send them to you. Don't doubt. And then he would say something like, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry that I have prepared them for. I have prepared. And then they said, now being commissioned by the Holy Spirit, they were sent forth. He, he is the one I call the overseer of the church. He is the overseer. He's the one who oversights the church. He's the one who looks after the church. So when I'm away for one month, I trust his leadership. You understand? And of course, the ministers and elders who did an amazing work, by the way. Awesome, awesome. You should give them a hand. You should give them a hand. Yeah, they did a really great job. But at the end of the day, honestly, I, I, I like to respectfully remind him it's actually his church, not mine. This is his church. This is his people. And uh, we're doing our best, but we do get it wrong. And, uh, you know, so he has to, I say, you know, you have to speak to them. At times I say, Lord, you have to speak to them. I say, Holy Spirit, you have to speak to them because I, I, I've done my best. I, I don't know what to say to that person anymore, to that situation. You know, so I leave it in your capable hands. And, of course, he's very capable. So we have to honor him. Now, the truth is we honor him when we allow him his proper place of preeminence in our lives. That's how you honor him. When you allow the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God to have their proper place in your life, you are honoring him. Now, there are two things we're warned about in terms of how we relate to the Holy Spirit. Now, these are not really the same as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, let me just say it like this, can only be done by a person who has decided to no longer honor Jesus. So anyone whose heart desires to honor Jesus, from how I understand scripture, cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Scripture says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is accursed by the Holy Spirit. So the only way you and I become potentially guilty of blasphemy is when of the, of the Holy Spirit is when our heart no longer wants to honor the Lord Jesus. Let me just put that in there. However, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can quench the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end on those two notes and then pick it up next week. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read from verse 29 to 31. Ephesians 4 from verse 29 to 31. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, 
that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, these verses all are hinged upon the point of not grieving the Holy Spirit. Look at it again. In fact, even the ones before them, but I just want to focus it. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. In other words, our words have the potential to grieve the Holy Spirit. What kind of words? Words that are full of bitterness, anger, um, clamor, violence, evil speaking, and um, malice in the heart of any kind. That, those are the things that can cause us to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to grieve? It literally means to make him sad. To make him sad and to cause him to withdraw. To cause him to withdraw. To make him sad. Now, at times, when we talk about this, people think that he is, uh, excuse me to put it like this, some kind of puppy. So, oh, and, oh, poor Holy Spirit. No, it ain't no poor Holy Spirit. It ain't, it ain't like, no, it's not like that. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, it's a very bad thing for you as a child of God. It cuts you off from accessing the grace that is yours. Because these things, evil speaking, um, corrupt communication, those kind of things, they defile you as a person. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves you. I'm not saying that he leaves you. It just means that he withdraws in terms of his manifestation, in terms of your ability to discern him and to hear him with clarity. But be kind, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, what allows easy access is a tender, forgiving heart. What allows you to be able to communicate and enjoy fellowship with him is allowing your heart to always be forgiven. Say to your neighbor, I choose to forgive. So, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. But you can also uh, quench the Holy Spirit. You can also quench the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Now, these verses show us a context in which we can quench the spirit. So we can grieve the spirit where we make him sad, where we don't allow him to have the freedom to discourse with us, to fellowship with us the way he wants to. And uh, we can grieve him by sinning against him, by disobeying him, and by resisting him. That's how we can grieve him. Um, there are scriptures we can give on this. But then we can also quench him. In other words, the quenching has to do with when he's operating, when he's actually moving, when the anointing is flowing, when the Spirit of God is doing something, God is doing something, 
And you and I as human beings in all our limitations can cause God to stop doing what he's doing. So we can grieve him, but we can also quench him. That word quench literally means extinguish or put out the fire. So we quench the Holy Spirit when, of course, if we grieve him, we're going to quench him for sure. But also we can quench him when we choose to ignore him. When we choose to ignore him or when we decide to resist him. So maybe he's speaking to us, but in our hearts, we shut him out. At times I see this happening. Let's say if I'm teaching the word and I can see that he's using the word to speak into people's lives. And then I can see at times people literally resisting the word. But it's not a man they're resisting. They're resisting the spirit that is behind those words. And if it's the Holy Spirit, then it's him that they're resisting. So what happens is the word does not benefit them. It can't benefit them. Hopefully we'll touch on that next week in terms of how we receive him and how we allow his power to operate through us effectively. It's very, very simple, to be honest with you, how we receive him. It's very simple how we allow him to flow through us. It's very simple. But that's for another time. So we can quench him when we grieve him, when we ignore him, when we resist him, or when we refuse or reject him. So sometimes believers can literally say, no, I don't want this. Maybe there is a gift that the Spirit of God wants to give to you, but you, you can say, no, I don't want it. Maybe you might, might say, how is that possible? Listen, over the years I've seen it happen so many times. People choose to reject things that God's word says belong to them for whatever reason. And so by doing this, it becomes to our disadvantage. So I want to conclude and say a few things to you. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? We've seen what he is in the scriptures. But who is he to you in your life? Is he an enigma? Or is he your comforter? The benediction says this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. So, what, what the Holy Spirit desires is fellowship with you and I. He lives inside of you and he wants to fellowship with you. That word fellowship in the Greek is a very powerful word, koinonia, which talks about communion, interaction, intimacy, sharing, distributing. The Spirit of God wants to commune with you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to share his heart, bring intimacy with you, show secret things to you. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and you make known to them his covenant. The secret, he wants to give secrets to you. He wants to share things with you. Share revelation, insight. But he also wants to distribute gifts through you. He wants to distribute things through you. Amazing gifts through you. And that's what we are working towards. Can you say amen? amen? So as I conclude, I want to challenge you to desire intimacy, fellowship, revelation, 
with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that benediction that I quoted, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit will become yours forever. You will not only enjoy the grace of our Lord Jesus, you not only enjoy the love of God, but you will know what it's like to participate in communion with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want us to pray now. If we could just bow our heads, we're going to pray. I want us to pray. And uh, one of the things I want to say to us, in, those of us that are part of the prayer, um, the prayer um, community, is that let's begin to be praying. I'm going to give some prayer pointers in terms of prayer. But let's begin to be praying a lot more for an increase in revelation and intimacy and the gifts and the fruit and the offices of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we do this and as we continue to learn, we're going to see manifestations and demonstrations of power like we have never seen before. When we gather together, but also when we go out of this place and interact with those who do not know Jesus. So we're going to pray. I want to first of all pray for you who are rededicating yourself to intimacy and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If that's what you want to do, you can stand right now. We're going to pray into that. You don't have to stand, but if you just want to do that, rededicate yourself with intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand where you are? Some of you don't need to, but some of you do. As you stand, just bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hands. And just rededicate yourself. Close your eyes, please. Just rededicate yourself to him. Raise your hands to him in surrender. And as you raise your hands, you're really saying to him, Lord, what, you, what, what I have, I'm giving to you. And what you have, I am receiving. So, Father, as we stand before you right now, as we rededicate ourselves to you right now, let your grace come upon us. Why don't you just talk to him right now? In your own words, just rededicate yourself to him right now for greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for hearing us right now. And as we stand before you, I ask for your grace upon these ones. For the spirit of revelation in the area of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. For this is your heart for us. Will you, O oh God, empower your people to greater fellowship with the mighty Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated quickly. One more area I want to pray into. I want to pray for anybody who feels like they have grieved the Holy Spirit in any area of their life and they haven't resolved it. Maybe you've already resolved it. If you've resolved it, you don't need to stand. But uh, this week in particular, there was something that I did that really, I did it in sincerity, but it did not grieve, the, it, did, it grieved the Holy Spirit. And uh, I had to really take responsibility before him. And sometimes you can do things in sincerity, but it's wrong. 
and you've grieved him. So if that is you, if that is you, I want you, if that is you, I want you to right now just bow your head, close your eyes and stand. We're going to pray into that area. Just stand where you are. You feel like you've grieved him in something. You were sincere at the time, but afterwards you look back, you know, I, I, I missed it, Lord. Lord, I missed it. Just stand where you are. And as you stand, I want you to know that God forgives you when you recognize you've done something wrong. And when you ask to be forgiven, you are forgiven. So why don't you do that right now? If you have not asked already, why don't you ask him to forgive you and then receive by faith forgiveness? So, Father, I ask for your mercies and your grace upon these that are standing, that as they have asked for forgiveness and as they have received your forgiveness, they will walk in the good of sweet fellowship with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you. You may take your seats. Thank you.